Hello. What's going on? Hey. You hear me? Yeah. Did you guys get any of my messages? And that's the voice of UFC Bantamweight, Misha Tate. And I'm Chris Wyman. This is Won't Back Down, presented by BioAccelerator. Misha Tate is a Strike Force champion. She was a UFC champion. She um, is really one of the trailblazers of women's mixed martial arts. Probably one of the biggest stars women mixed martial arts has ever had. One of the biggest stars the UFC has ever had in general. And the last time she fought before she retired was at UFC 205 in New York City at Madison Square Garden on the first New York card ever. And I was on that card as well. It didn't work out for me. It didn't work out for her. But she retired that night. And since she retired, she ended up having two kids. She started a family. She moved to Singapore to become the vice president of One Championship, which is another mixed martial art promotion out in Asia. And she was living out in Singapore for a year and a half. And all of a sudden, she decided she wanted to fight again. And after taking five years off, she fought this past Saturday night. And she looked better than ever. She honestly looked so confident walking to the cage. And then, you know, I had no idea what to expect. Five years off, having two kids, uh, coming in against a girl who's really tough, Marion Renu, who has never been finished in the UFC or ever in her 11-year career. And... Misha looked better than ever on her feet. She looked great on the ground, and she actually finished Marion Renew, which is the first time she was ever finished in her 11-year career, after taking five years off. And she just looks so happy. She's so grateful for this opportunity to be in the UFC. I think having that time off has really helped her get better perspective on life and more appreciative of her UFC career and her mixed martial arts. And she has un tap potential that she feels like she has not been able to gift to the world yet and really gift to herself. And she had a lot of stuff going on in her life throughout her mixed martial art career. And you could tell all that pressure is off her. She got that monkey off her back and she's a brand new person. And I'm really excited for her and what she's going to be able to accomplish in the UFC over these next couple of years. Coming up on today's show, Misha and I will discuss the real reason why she left the sport five years ago, her plans to get the UFC gold back, and what it was like giving birth in Singapore, and so much more. It's Misha Tate like you've never heard it before, and I cannot wait for you all to listen to it. That's all coming up in a moment, but before we begin, I want to tell you about Won't Back Down's presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I'm actually heading out to Medellin, Colombia to go see the BioAccelerator crew in person to get some treatment on my leg, and I can't wait for it. Just like I can't wait for today's episode with the great Misha Tate, which you can also find on the Chris Weidman YouTube channel. If you prefer to watch it instead, we'll provide a link in the show notes. All right, here's my conversation with Misha Tate. Misha, you take five years off, you retire, UFC 205, and you have two babies. They, they have you set to fight Marion Renu, who's super tough, scrappy girl, has been in the, been in the fight game since, since 2010, so 11 years, and she's never been finished. 
you come back and like all the pressure was on you. What kind, what Misha Tate do we see? What Misha Tate are we going to see when she makes this comeback? And you honestly have never looked better. Your stand-up was just so crisp and clean. Uh, obviously, your takedowns, you always had great takedowns, but it was just a, an amazing fight. And it was awesome to see you come back and just look so happy and, and like a brand new person. So just can you tell me what was that? What was it? What has it been like? And how was that? How was that comeback? Uh, first of all, that mural, that wall behind you, I was kind of just admiring that. That's pretty cool. I, I got, a, I got, a, I got a little bit of uh, that going on over here too. If you can see my. There you go. I like it. Where's your, where's your UFC belt and your strike force belt? It's, it's up there. Oh, there it is. You gotta keep turning. That's a sick back backdrop. Yeah. I like it. So, so Johnny made this wall for me, this mural during my camp. Um, and he just kind of was like, I want you to remember like each day, like wake up and see what you're capable of. So that was, that's pretty cool. Um, oh, and I hung my most recent photo of, of the fight with Marion on there. So I guess we're just going to kind of keep this as a tradition now. It's like, you know, as I kind of progress through my career, win or lose, you know, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be moments that I'm going to add to this wall, but, um, to your question. Yeah. I mean, five years in the making and I didn't even realize that, right. It took me, it was about 13 months ago that the idea just first crossed my mind to want to come back and fight. So I was really pregnant with my son. Like I'm talking like nine months pregnant. And I was, I just, it must've been the pandemic's fault, to be honest, like the forced slowdown and kind of just taking everything back into account well like what's most important in my life mm. I decided I want to fight and um so I'm living in Singapore I have Daxton over there um we decided I'm gonna fight I moved back three months after having the baby and just start getting back into shape takes me about six months to you know six months postpartum to really feel like an athlete again like and then that next two months, right, I started to spar and um, there was some obviously hiccups, you know, little things that, that was just as you as you take a layoff, right, you got to mm. get back into it. Mind you having two kids and not having fought between either one. So, you know, I had some pelvic floor issues. I had some like hip issues, things like that from having the kids. And um, I just had to remind myself, like, you'll get there. Like patience is a virtue. Just kind of like take it one step at a time. So I did that six months postpartum, we start sparring, um, really rolling, getting competitive. And I start winning some rounds in the gym and I was like, oh yeah, all right, we're back. We're back in business. So I call up day and I said, let's schedule a fight. So it was literally 24 hours less than that. I think that the fight got announced with Mari and Mick hit me up. He said, what do you think about Mari? I said, good, great. Like, let's just schedule it. And so then we're four months out from the fight. So this really, what you saw in that fight was four months of work. So the, the striking and all that was realistically four months of work. Cause I did not barely touch any gloves the whole time I was retired. Cause I, I've never really loved striking. I've always been more of a grappler. Like I'm yeah. going to do an ogie, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so really this is four months of work. Um, I have an amazing strength and conditioning coach now. Um, yeah, in the process, I, I think the reason that you see a difference in me though, is that the time off did me such justice and decongesting. So I, I feel new in a way, like I really feel new. Like this is the first time that I'm really allowed to express myself as a fighter that I want to be. And it's not really dictated by anybody else. Like telling me you can't do this. You've got to do this. You can only do this. 
which leads an athlete sometimes to feel very confused and frustrated in like the training camps and the fights. Like just imagine, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that Chris, but let's say something was working really well for you in the gym. And they're like, but you can't do that because the odds are the percentages it's not high enough. You know, you've got to train to beat the best. And if you're doing this and it's working against, that's only because it's working against this person and not because it's good for you or vice versa, where you aren't figuring something out, it's not working for you. And they're like, you, ha- you can only do that. You have to do that. If you don't so do that, you're going to fail. You who, know, was, just, who was telling you these things? Who, who was in was, your head with this? It was my ex. It was Brian. Yeah. Oh, Caraway. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, and I felt like he looked at me as a representation of him directly. And that's where a lot of his like glory and success and what would come from was my performances. So he took it personally. So he trained me as though I was him. And I feel like, um, you know, I don't want to say it was all bad. There's still like a lot of great things. I don't want to just sit here and like talk shit or whatever, because, um, truthfully, I mean, he is a great grappler, a phenomenal wrestler, you know, even goes, he's a great fighter. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things I did learn really well, but the frustrating parts for me where I think it really messed me up mentally and emotionally was the, the, um, there was no call. I feel like the confidence wasn't there in my ability. It was all about like his ability and I had to express it the way that he wanted me to. And that was just really difficult for me. You know, it was really, really challenging. So I think for the first time, like I'm really able to express myself really able to express myself as an athlete and have coaches behind me that are allowing these styles that like what you saw on Saturday, that is my style. That's what I've developed after time away. I came back. I'm still a strong grappler. I'm still a strong wrestler, but now I'm getting a finesse and a comfortability on my feet that I clearly never had before. I go back and look at probably my best striking performances. I would say maybe against Holly Holm or against Jessica. I, and I still, I had power, right. But I had trouble channeling it. Um, I had desire, you know, I tried to do the head movement we worked on with GIF and, and all the footwork and stuff, but I still feel like I look like a grappler who had some decent striking and, and Saturday, I feel like I looked at myself and I felt really well-rounded. I felt like if you just watched and you didn't know anything about me, you might've thought I was just a striker at first. Absolutely, right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, so this is, uh, it's really fun for me to see the evolution and, and how I've evolved with so much time off. That's what's kind of crazy to me. And I think a lot of people weren't sure, you know, I, I saw the, um, the odds going into the fight and things like that. People just weren't sure. Like what was, what was, what does five years do to a person? Yeah. Is it better or worse? So for me, it, it definitely think it worked out better. <laughs> I agree. And I, I mean, I know what it's like when a coach is, you know, telling you that you may not be like, if I, I'm obviously a wrestler, but my goal is to feel just as comfortable on my, on my feet as I feel on the ground. And if you have a right. coach basically kind of telling you in one way or the other that you need to be taken to the ground because you're not that good of a striker, that's going to get in your head. And that's, you do not want to sure. go into a fight feeling insecure in any situation. You know, you want to be yeah. ready to win in every situation. And then let alone, and not just being a coach, but your boyfriend at the time, I mean, that had to yeah. be super hard because like, you start a fight with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your wife or your husband. It's just, it's a lot. It's like the biggest strain. Like even for me, like my wife, if she's not, if she's not happy and we have an issue going on, it is in my head. Like, and that's why I like that happy wife, happy life thing. Right. Right. It affects your training too. Like if you're not able to resolve an issue before you go to the gym, which is life. I mean, sometimes we have that happen. Right. And it's just, Mm -hmm. you have a shitty practice because of your personal life. That's life. But when it's, 
constant. There's no escape. And um, that person is also going to the gym with you. And then if you're not just fighting about like life things, right, um, you're, you're fighting about the gym. It, so it was constant. It was a, it was never a break in, in that. And it just got to the point where, you know, in my last fight, I was just so mentally and emotionally checked out. Truthfully, I hardly remember that week any of it. I don't remember the way, like the weigh-ins. It's so weird. I couldn't go back and watch videos, but, and I, and it's like, yeah, I, I know I was there, but I wasn't there. I was just gone because I was so emotionally checked out at that point that I had trouble making connections with anything emotionally. You know, that should have been a great moment for me because, you know, it was the first card at Madison square garden, you know, Connor, and Eddie Alvarez are headlining and I get to be a part of that. It was, a, it was yeah. should have been a very magical moment, but really I was just on autopilot. I was just going through the motions. I was smiling. I was doing my interviews. I did everything I needed to do, but I was not emotionally invested. Uh, and I, I just didn't have it left and to have anything left to be emotionally or mentally invested. And I just felt very checked out in the whole, whole process. Yeah. That sounds super suffocating going to the gym and having to be around them and then going back home and having to be around them. Yeah. And I mean, and especially like with such a dominant personality, you know, he really has a very, very dominant personality and it's very, um, it was, that's what it was. It was suffocating. There was never any time that we were ever really allowed to be apart, you know, at any point, like not even just, I mean, it was very rare that we were ever, ever, ever apart. And I think it was just part of the manipulation um, was so was it more like, was he like a super jealous boyfriend and you just, he was controlling and he didn't want you around other guys or was it because he didn't want to lose you as like a student? He was your coach. Like, was it more of the jealousy uh, as, a, as a boyfriend or more of a jealousy as a coach? I mean, I think there was a mixture of both. Um, I wouldn't say that he was a super um, insecure person in that, you know, if I was around to be asked because he was always there to monitor the situation, I guess. So maybe if he hadn't been, then yes, like call, where are you? What are you doing? What's that? Sure. But it felt like I was always around him. So he always had some kind of uh, hook in, you know, if so to speak. And, um, but absolutely too, about me being the extension of him, you know, he says like, oh, I gave up my career my career for you, you know, I made all these sacrifices. And so my career didn't really go anywhere where I really feel like, it was more that he didn't, he didn't want to have to put that pressure on himself. He'd rather put it on through me, still be able to take the credit. Um, I made more money too, you know, so that was something, you know, I would go and win a fight and make more money and, you know, he would spend it. And it's like, oh my uh, gosh. so it was just an awful situation. You know, he's, yeah, that was, that's his perception, you know, is that he sacrificed so much for me, but in my mind, he hated fighting. Um, he got a lot of anxiety and, um, I dealt with all those things a lot better. So for him, you know, I'm, I'm still resentful at some of the things like, you know, I wish Brian, well, I don't wish him any hard luck or anything. You know, I, I don't, um, want to harbor any negative feelings because it just doesn't, it doesn't add to like my, um, me being a more whole person moving forward. But, yeah. you know, I still, I'm not going to sit here and say like, there's no situations that still bother me. I look back and I say, you know, he was in the fight with Amanda, particularly, um, the fight with Holly, um, he would, he was just like partying. He was partying the whole time. He would be downstairs. I was trying to sleep and he would get mad at me for getting mad at him because they're being so loud that I'm like, I have to wait. I have to train tomorrow. Like my fight is in two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever. 
why are you being so loud? Like, why are you partying downstairs? What are you doing? You know, and just that kind of stuff, you know? Um, Yeah. He showed up to my weight cut with Amanda late and um, intoxicated. And he brought like people with him to, and if you know about weight cutting, right, it's not a time when you're trying to be, you need to be protected. He, especially him, he needs to to make sure there's no random people around. It's old people that love you. And have your back yep. and are there for you. If you have a random person around for your weight cut, I get super pissed off. Like, yo, yeah, I don't want like, this guy here. Saying, Why is this person here? And he wanted me to be like personable to them because they were some, you know, basketball stars, I guess, or whatnot. But I just <laughs> didn't because it was international fight week. So he went to the fights before my fight. Right. So I fought Saturday and there was fights Friday. So he went. He was like, can I go? And I'm like, in my mind, I was kind of like, please, I'm like, go and stay. Cause he really so you wasn't were checked out at that point. At what point? And, and I don't mean, I just think, I appreciate you being so honest and open about your relationship. And I think it's awesome that you're doing it because I think it could help a lot of, a lot of people. Cause I, I think relationships are one of those things. Everyone feels like they're on their own and it's their relationship is different and no one really understands. Right. So I think hearing you going through this situation is probably going to really warm people up and give them a little bit more confidence that they're not alone. So I appreciate you, right. you, you know, really well, opening yeah. up about this stuff. Yeah. And, and I've, I've tried really lightly, like a lot of this stuff I actually haven't said before because, um, because I don't want to, um, I don't want to put Brian down and I know that he's still like our relationship was somewhat in or was at the time in the limelight and you know he's still somebody knows like I don't I hesitate because like I said I don't wish ill will or bad things for him I want him to be happy like and move on and grow as a person but you know these are true things that really happened and I think in order for me to really heal and shed some light on the differences of why I think I'm more successful now and that where the changes of where I'm at is like, is to be honest and really be Mm -hmm. able to reflect on these things candidly. And, um, as much as I still feel like I protect Brian in a way, you know, by Mm -hmm. not, um, saying the truth, like I still hold back a lot. I mean, there's still a lot that I could elaborate on, but I go ahead, but, open up. This is the, uh, I know, right? <laughs> but, but truthfully, I think that it is important, you know, Chris, the more that I realize that my story has impacted other people, we've all been in difficult relationships, or maybe had trouble leaving. And I just want people to know that I'm not any different. Because sometimes I think people look at me or maybe look at fighters in general, that we have something special or something that someone else doesn't. And I really want to bring it back down to like a human level. Like we're all people at the end of the day. And like, even somebody that you think might never have an issue or is strong or empowered or whatnot, like we do, I had trouble leaving a relationship. It took me a good four to five years. So that's what I was going to ask you. When did it start getting toxic to where like, this is affecting me in my, in every part of my life? From the very, from the very beginning, to be honest, mm. the very beginning, my first fight. So he's always been a very high. Could you not break out with him? Or was he just tough to break out with? Yeah. So I knew I really wanted to break up with him. Like I had given up. I was checked out of the relationship probably four or five years before I actually did. And we were together for about nine. Mm. Um, but I had tried and obviously, um, th- there were manipulation tactics like, um, physically barricading me in a room, like not allowing me to leave at that time. Um, or, uh, 
you know, threatening harm to himself, which is one of the scariest things. Um, because, you know, when you still love and care about someone and at that point, you know, it wasn't that I didn't care about Brian. I was just so tired of being under that kind of duress. I wanted him to go and be happy. So I didn't wish anything bad, but I wanted to, I wanted to leave. And so what I guess I chose to do was to hurt myself instead of hurt him every time, because I was convincing myself I could handle it. It's like, I can handle it. It's not so, it's not so bad. Like I can deal with it. You know, there are still good things, right? You try to, you just end up convincing yourself in whatever way that you need to, you, you hold on to the small fleeting moments that are really good. And you just try to overlook all the things that are toxic and telling you that you shouldn't be there, that you're not happy, you know, depression, all these things like, you know, you just can convince yourself that you'll be okay and that it's going to be better. And that every time, right. I'm going to change. I'm going to this, let's take some, you know, if you need space, and but then it's just all goes right back to the way that it was. And you find yourself again, back in that hole. And it's like, why do I keep putting myself here? You know, and it just took me a really long time to finally, you know, get that. So, um, we actually separated almost immediately after the fight with Amanda. So you retire. And then, so no, I separated. Oh, after Amanda, I'm sorry. Amanda. Yeah. Excuse me. And then, um, and then I fought one more time. I fought Raquel. So we tried to do just a coach, uh, athlete thing and have more space and allow me to be single and independent the whole time, even though he promised and swore he wouldn't, you know, was just trying to manipulate to get back in. So that's what that whole camp was like, was just (sighs) me battling to keep him in one place. And that was like, you give an inch take a mile kind of thing. So it was just a constant fight that whole camp. Um, it was, it was brutal. So, um, but I was, I was definitely staunch on like, I did not want to get back with him. And, um, so then anyways, when I fought, then I fought Raquel and that was just as much of a nightmare, you know, even though we weren't in personally, we weren't in a relationship, but we could not manage otherwise. And, and I just, was he in your corner for that or yeah, he was, Oh my God, you're crazy. You can't know, get away right? from. Oh my god! I endured. I'm, I endured I'm like sick to my stomach for you right now. Oh my god! Yeah. I can't believe what you went through. Um, it was tough. Shit. What were you going? Keep going. I'm sorry. And, 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 no. So 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 realistically, we were separated um, in July. I fought one last time in November. Tried to kind of make it all work in a way, like taking some steps back, but it just was it was not good. So um, I just felt felt like this sport and the relationship were too entangled. Like I couldn't separate from one and not the other. So or I didn't know how to like, and I knew that he wouldn't like let that be possible, you know? Yeah. So I had to just basically like I'm retiring and that's it. And I mean, like they've released footage now and I even forgot about that, but like the arguing in the octagon afterwards. And that was because I, I just knew I had a be- better me to offer than what I was putting forward in the octagon. And it was really frustrating to know that there was just so much taking away. But even at that time, like I wasn't quite able to figure all that out. I just knew I didn't like that the place that I was in and I needed to change it. So that was the main reason why I retired. Yeah. Was, was, uh, was your coaches or did you have friends or anybody that you could kind of like escape to and talk to, or you kind of like suffocated on your own where you, you didn't want to bother people with, with your issues with Brian. 
So my coach, Robert Fallis was aware of a lot of, obviously, you know, he saw a lot firsthand. And so he knew he was definitely there, um, as a support for me, but, um, he, Pat, he, he passed away actually, um, shortly after that. Yeah, he, sorry. yeah. So he ended up taking his own life, which was a shock, you know, um, he was just such a light for everybody else. And he certainly was for me. And I think he was the kind of person who took on everybody's burdens himself. You know, he's a very much like an empath. I think he felt mm-hmm. a lot of that. And I think he felt a lot of it for me. So he was there for me, but, um, I retired in November and he passed in December. That so after that, I mean, no, I was really pretty isolated because I had pushed so many people away for so long. It was part of like the relationship with Brian was that mm. the people who saw it otherwise couldn't get through to me. And so when he saw he saw it otherwise, right, then the relationships became strained. He didn't want me around those people um, kind of thing. So. Yeah you know, I pretty much, I had a like non-existent relationship with my parents. Now I have a great relationship. My mom just spent a month down here with my kids, helping me out for the camp. And my dad, my mom and dad were able to come to the fights. I was like pleading with Dana. I was like, can we please, I haven't fought in like five years. Can they please come? So he made it happen under the the COVID circumstances. But, um, so life is just so much different now. And, uh, I'm so grateful for the experiences that I had because, you know, when you have those lows, then you really have perspective on how to appreciate it when it's going so well. And mm. I think that's just the overwhelming takeaway in this fight was my fight camp was phenomenal. My fight week was incredible. And my fight day was just the best it's ever been. I've truly never had such a blissful experience. Just so grateful to be where I'm at. I have my children. I have an amazing fiance and Johnny who never takes away from me. Like he always is adding, like, I don't know how you do that, but you constantly add to what's already here. And it's just a wonderful blessing to have that and to have the perspective of the contrast, you know, what it can be like when it's not. And so Mm. I, I I think I'm more grateful than ever. And, um, so for that, I can truly say like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I endured and that I came out on the other side. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy for you. And it's, it's like refreshing to hear how you had that contrast, you know, you got out of the dumps, overcame that situation then look at you you like you're bright and excited about life in a, in a way that i've never seen you um really before and it showed in your fight i feel like in fighting is probably the best way to kind of see who someone really is it kind of yeah. comes out in a fight and mm-hmm. uh, you just you were you were just in such a good spot um mentally yeah. and physically that I'm, I'm super excited and obviously it's true it's not like it was just your opinion at this point you had a lot more to offer this sport and for five years, unfortunately, you had to get yourself together. You got to start a family and uh, you it's all worked out for the best. But um, I'm super excited for your future and, and what you got yeah. coming up next. So no, let's, talk, let's talk about yeah. what's coming up next. So, I mean, looking at the top 10 of the bantamweight division, as far as star power, I mean, you're right there. Holly Holm is uh, well, she's ranked second. And then you got Amanda Nunes. I mean, they're going to they're gonna try to probably – if I'm Dana White, I'm probably trying to push you pretty quickly here to the title because you're a huge name. You look great in your last fight. They could advertise the crap out of that. And um, so, like, where are you at with what you want to do next? So I'm in this, uh, you know, weighing it out situation. But I feel like, look, I don't want to rush, but I don't want to waste time. Right. Because I'm kind of looking at this as a two year plan. Like I definitely want to have that title fight within two years and I want to be a champion inside that. And then, 
you know, I might be looking at retirement, to be honest. Like, I think if uh, it might just be a short and sweet two years, maybe longer. I don't know when we get there, we'll, we'll kind of adjust. But after the first fight, what I'm kind of looking at now, I'm really eyeballing November as a fight card. Um, and especially because I kind of want to walk it back. If I could be on the MSG card, mm. because I retired in November, that would be exactly five years ago, the same place, the same month five years not to make um, it about me but that night didn't work out for me either ufc 205 <laughs> yo romero that was a flying knee was that is that oh, the same yeah. that was the same night yeah just first yeah, event yeah, ever yeah. in new york how was that yeah, five years ago it wasn't it wasn't a good one yeah well it wasn't a good one for eddie either <laughs> yeah so. yeah exactly a couple people but, had bad um, nights right but we've all had those you know we had those bad nights but Look, and this is why I couldn't stay retired. When I really started to, to look back at what I did under those circumstances, I was like, I still have so much more to offer the sport. And what if I never needed to uh, be full of the craziness, you know, the chaos in my life? Because I always kind of had this addicted to adversity mindset. It's like the more adversity, the better. And that's just something I had to adapt to. I had to adopt that mentality because... It was always so chaotic and stressful. That's how I told myself in my mind I was better for that. Mm. But truthfully, I know well, if I you're wasn't. Winning, if you're winning big fights and you have your your life is just a tornado yeah. in your head, you're like, all right, I guess the more tornado it's, I got in my so life, it is. Right. like that's how it's yeah, been since inception, right? So yeah. since the start of the sport, it was always that way. So I just got used to that. And once I had perspective on the other side, once I was out of the storm and, and I had taken enough time off and I was in a really happy place and I started thinking, oh my, my God, like I, when he hung this wall up too, and I was looking at this and I was like, I did, I did do that. And I was like, I did it under crazy circumstances though. So what if I did it again? And what if I got rid of all the craziness and the chaos in my life? What if I never needed any of that? What if I could just be and be the best, truly the best version instead of fighting the person on the, and all my emotional turmoil myself? What if I just fought the woman across the octagon and I didn't have to worry about all the other bullshit? Yeah. And that just really got me going. I thought, you know, um, I can't stay retired. It was like, I can't stay retired when I know I have so much more I can do and I can be better and so much more to offer. So you know, um, I'm glad that I didn't bite off more than I can choose so far. The return was great and successful. And I felt, you know, fast and in the best shape of my life and the clarity that I felt in there, I felt so comfortable. I felt like I, I was telling people, you're going to see a lightness. You're going to see a move. You're going to see me move differently. And I think that's a representation of the confidence and the weight that's been taken off of me, like figuratively speaking, you know? Like, where was your mind at walking to that cage? Like, I, I obviously was in a really good spot, but was it almost like you were looking at yourself from the outside looking in or were you completely like in your own head in the moment? Like, just can you try to articulate yeah. where you are at mentally walking into that cage? Because obviously it's where you want to continue to be. Yeah. Uh, I remember when they came to the back dressing room and they were like two minutes and I'm like, all right. But it actually took them like three to get to me. And I was like, so eager. I'm like, where are they? You know, I was, I wanted to go. I, I was ready for the fight. I wanted to go. I wanted to be done with it, to be honest, because that's what you look forward to, right? Is the victory. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you know, it's so close. You just want to get in there and fight. And so, um, and then the walkout, right? I'm waiting for that. I feel like the urge to just scream before I know it, like the scream is just like 
coming out of me, you know, and I'm just like, guess I'm getting into warrior mode. And then my music comes on, I start walking, and it's a short walk. But about halfway there, I got I just started to get really emotional, I started to feel um, just amazed that not only I was doing I was finally making this walk again, when I never thought that I would never wanted to. And I never thought I could feel good and happy about that. I always associated this with forced feelings that I had to do this, I didn't have a choice. And this was like, uh, 100% because I wanted to finally had a solid team around me of like, everybody was solid. I mean, and uh, I started to get emotional. I just remember kind of like shaking my head and I almost just got teary eyed because I was so happy in that moment to be in that place and have that opportunity. And truthfully, I was at peace with whatever happened in the octagon. I had already made peace with it. Even if I went out there and I got caught, it, it could happen. It could happen in any single fight. I had made peace with that already because I knew I had put everything all like I put my best foot forward through the entire camp. So the confidence was at an all time high. Like I knew I was going to win, but you know, we don't play this game because there's guarantees, right? We play because we really want to test and t- And I respected her so much. I was like, look, she's legit. She's, she's submitted people, you know, that she should, she's won fights. She shouldn't have won. And the fights she lost were very close, usually split decisions. Um, like this woman, she's a single mom who has dedicated, a you know, past 11 years to her career. She took her son with her to the gym when he was four years old and playing with his Legos. And she dedicated herself hundred percent. And she has her son in her corner. I was like, she's going <laughs> to be smart. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I was like, business is business. I'm like, sorry about yeah. that. I'll apologize later, you know, yeah. but, but you know, to your point, I was like, if I had my children in my corner, you better better believe like I'm bringing, I'm bringing everything I have. I'm going mama bear, you know? So oh, I yeah. expected her to just be, you know, the, the, put her best foot forward. Um, so I had made peace with that. It's like, you know, if I lose, it's not for a lack of effort and it's not for a lack of preparation. It's not for it because I was in a great place because she was a better woman that night. And I can deal with that. I, I truthfully, I can live with that. I can live with the loss like that, but I could not live with the losses that I had before, even the victories that I had before, because I know it wasn't the best me. I just want the best me. And God forbid, if I lose, Hey, I lost giving my very best effort, but I don't think I'm going to because I, I, I feel it in my heart and soul. Like I know my destiny is to become a world champion again. And I really believe I want it more than anybody at this point. Now, how do you compare this mindset of you walking to the cage um, where you were completely cool with possibly losing because that's in any sport, but completely confident because of the work you put in? Like, how do you compare that to your other fights? My other fights, I always felt very congested. I felt like there was a lot going on in my mind. There was uh, a sense of overwhelm before I even got into there. Um, and um, an insecurity in that uh, it's not that I didn't believe I was going to win. I think I always had a confidence about myself knowing I worked hard and, and I always did. I always worked. Hard. I think I worked even harder, um, not physically, but so much emotionally and mentally to get myself to that point. And I got to be an expert at compartmentalizing, trying to put things in different boxes and not open those boxes until it was time to deal with that thing. So it put, you know, all the emotion, but, but that still takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of focus and it takes a lot of uh, determination to have that. And, um, so I always felt really congested. I always felt like my mind was so full of, you know, trying to, compartmentalized and think about all the things that I had to do. And, and I truthfully felt like if I lost, I was a loser. 
that was my whole value in life. That's what, you know, we, that's how I identified was the fighter Misha Tate. And if I don't win, I'm a loser. <laughs> is that your where, where we? That, that's my dog and my son, CJ, come here. <laughs> this is CJ. So I had a Misha. You have to talk, talk to the mic. I think, Hi. I think CJ actually wants to ask you a question, right? CJ, you got I something? You what? forgot what you're going to say? Um, remember, do you remember? No. What were you going to say? I think you already said that. Um, let me see. We can look at the, some of the questions. Oh, let's <laughs> ask, let's ask her about living in Singapore and what that was like. She's vice president. I don't, are you still the vice pre- president of one championship? And no, so- what was it like to move to Singapore? You can't hear yourself. Yeah. Sorry, CJ. Well, moving to Singapore was quite an experience. So it was always something I wanted to do was like live abroad somewhere. So totally different lifestyle than I was used to. I lived in a high rise in the middle of the city. It was busy, no yard, no anything. And um, very different lifestyle, obviously living in Asia too. But um, it was a great experience. And I think it got a little tainted at the end because of the pandemic. You know, so that's just everyone's situation, right? Yeah. I think was, was, it, was it tough over there? Was it, very oh, yeah. strained? it was gotcha. really tough. It was not, it was not a fun place to be in the pandemic. <laughs> really? And then yeah. you had your baby there. What was that like? Obviously, so had- you know, uh, you're, you're going to trust the U S healthcare and the doctors you have out here. And especially as a girl, you got your gynecologist yeah. and then you got to trust somebody right, else. What, what right. was that whole thing like? Yeah. So that was an interesting uh, experience. So I had planned to have my son at the hospital, but uh, naturally I wanted to do unmedicated with my daughter. I tried to have her at home, ended up transferring to the hospital. Um, so this time, what happened with uh, that? What, what you, so you were trying to do it like at home, like in the bed yeah. type thing or yep, yep, yep. Home really? Oh Lula, I, had, I had a midwife, I had everything. And, uh, what I learned in a nutshell, not to, to uh, bore everybody, but the, I keep saying it, that the body follows the mind. So true. So, you know, you can relate that fighter as fighters, I think we kind of fight fire with fire. It's like who burns brighter in that fight, right? We're both bringing a flame and it's like, we're ready for combustion. Um, but with labor, I took the same approach and I thought, you know what? I'm tough. There's no pain. That's going to like, stop me. I'll just get through it. Like you just get, I mean, what do you do? You just get through it. Right. Three days later of labor, took me three days to have my my daughter. Gosh. Oh, three days after you got really tested. Oh, I could. And you're at your house for this. Yeah. I was dehydrated. Um, I was puking. I was super sleep deprived and I was definitely deteriorating. So at at 62 hours, it was like two and a half days in, we transferred to the hospital because I was still only at five centimeters. So it's called like prodromal labor where your body's, you know, intensely contracting. Even sometimes you are having the signs of going through transition, which means like the baby's like about to be there. Mm. I had had that multiple times, but I was not progressing. Problem was I was fighting my own contractions. I was like tensing. I didn't want the next one to come. I was kind of like, so my body was literally, uh, fight. so I drug my own labor out. This is my, this is what I think anyways. I'm you're such sure a fighter part. mentally. You're like, no, you're not. <laughs> I fought my labor. So like labor opponent, Misha, you know, we fought yeah. each other and it was not good until, so the second time around, I was so mortified. I was so scared to like have a natural birth because I had the epidural when I went to the hospital. So even the birthing part, I was actually numb for. So 30 weeks into my pregnancy, I'm like, okay, Misha, you're going to do this. I changed my mind. So I was like, I'm just going to get the epidural. And then I was like, you know what? Other women have done this. And I was like, I've got, there's gotta be just something I did wrong. I just got, I got to figure this out. So change changed my mind, changed my doctor. 
went to a whole different route. Um, and I did like hypnobirthing. I did yoga. I did like all the like weird shit that's, you know, it's like, I'm not yeah. like a hippie or anything, yeah. maybe like a modern day. Like I like the, it turned into a hippie. The baby. I got into it. I got super into it. I had my son, like, like it was incredible. I had my hypnobirthing tracks playing and I went into like a hypnotic state. So like my mind and I was like producing endorphins. I felt high during my labor. Like I was like woozy, like I was buzzed, you know, like you had a couple like drinks or whatever. And you're like buzzed. That's kind of how and I no felt. drugs, no drugs. Wow. And it was three hours from start to finish. And it was an incredible experience in my bathroom. I didn't make it to the hospital because it happened so fast. Wait, we're talking about the Singapore baby. The, yeah. Your, the your Singapore son. Baby son my, the second what's one. His, I what's didn't his make name? It to the hospital. Daxton. Dax, Daxton. Yeah. That's awesome name. That wait a second. So what do you, what do you attribute it to? Like being able to get, so yeah, what did my, you, yeah. What were you, I know you're doing yoga and stuff. What was the hypnotic thing that you were doing? Is there something called, that you could tell yeah. the ladies out there that they need to do? Oh, do not be afraid of, of birth and labor. If you do the right preparation, you have the right people around you because it's actually science that, you know, when you have an adrenaline, when you have adrenaline, let's use adrenaline, for example, because I think anybody can relate to that. Like you have something bad happen to you and it should be really painful, but your adrenaline's going, maybe you've got to save your kid or whatever, you know, you have or or it happens and you're like looking at yourself and you're like, oh shit, you know, like that's a bad injury. You don't feel it in that moment because you have the adrenaline going. Yeah. Um, so your body produces endorphins and also pain, but they dock. If you imagine like little ships, they dock to the same receivers. So if you have a hundred endorphins and a hundred pain, you know, ships, let's say they can all dock. If you get ahead with re releasing the endorphins or, you know, and maybe in some other cases, you know, adrenaline, uh -huh. they attach to that and you don't feel the pain as much. So that's really what it, what you do. If you're in a good atmosphere, you got the low light, you got people around you like that are encouraging you. You're also in like a very highly suggest suggestive state, like between rounds of a fight, right? Like your coaches, when they're telling you something, you're in, oh, you're open to receive, like, because you're in a suggestive state, you're like, yeah, you're, you're in instinct mode. Same thing when you go into labor, if you could just kind of check your mind out of it, let your body do what it, what it does. Like, it's not, it's a beautiful experience. Like, I definitely don't think like anybody should be afraid of it. Like, women, women rock. I mean, definitely kind of frustrates me sometimes with the modern medicine, like how much intervention is, is actually happened and women get scared into like things that they wouldn't want to do otherwise. But, you know, someday I want to be a doula, like when I retire and just empower women to birth their babies, because it's a hell of a thing. And it's really cool when you, when you actually dig into it, what, what women are capable of and that birth doesn't have to be a scary experience. Wow. I mean, that sounds, it sounds amazing. Like you could, if you just completely relax and give it up, yeah. it just, you end up getting yeah. high and it actually yeah. is a, a great <laughs> experience. And it's an but amazing if, experience. But if you're yeah. panicking and you've watched too many movies of these yes. crazy things yes. going on, it, yeah. I could see it being yeah. a culture thing where we're so scared, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've been all these stats, you know? Yeah before it happens. And that's kind of like, you know, people who are, who look at us as like, Oh, you're insane. Doesn't it hurt? Like, aren't you scared? And it's like, we've just factored it in a different way. That's the same thing with labor, but you have to factor it in for the objective, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, labor is, is, uh, is not, is not a fight in the same sense of like what we're trying to do. It's not about conquering. It's about submitting and uh, going with it, you know, so different objective, but the mind is so powerful that you can, you can equip your body in any way that you want. If you just sharpen the mind. Wow. I never thought the won't back down podcast would have a, a separate page just for pregnant women, <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> I, birthing women. 
Uh, <laughs> Troy, make sure you clip that out. Um, just what were you doing for five years? Obviously, you had your kids, but like as far as like your every day, I know you weren't really boxing and stuff. Like, what was your days like? Yeah, obviously, you met Johnny. Super yeah. happy. You guys had two kids. But like, other than that, what was going on? So when I was living in Singapore, you kind of mentioned earlier, I was a uh, vice president for one championship. So that kept me really busy. How did that I come about? How did um, that, that all work so out? Actually, when I visited Singapore with the UFC, doing signings and kind of traveling around, I went to like um, two places in Australia and Singapore. And Chautry, the CEO of One Championship, reached out mm-hmm. to me at that point and said, hey, if you want to have dinner, if you want to come train at our gym, you're more than welcome. Super nice guy. Uh, so I did. Years went by, then I retired and I thought, you know, um, I talked to Johnny, I was like, would you want to live in Singapore? And he's like, yeah, I was like, okay. So I reached out to Chachi and I just was like, Hey, would you be interested? And he said, yeah, let's, uh, so in a nutshell, that's what it was. It was just, re- wait, so really- Johnny, your boy, your fiance wanted to, he was looking to move to Singapore because the training situation. Yeah. I mean, it was something we kind of came to together in agreement, but yeah. it was like, Hey, I brought it to him. Like, I think I want to do this. What do you think? Would you want to, you know, would you, because we had our daughter, right. So it was obviously not just, just my decision. I would need yeah. his support. But yeah. He was all in support of it. So whatever you, you know, whatever you want to do, babe, yeah. um, let's do it. So, and he's just always been that way. So, um, so we did, it was almost a year and a half. It was supposed to be two years, but it was cut short due to the pandemic. So when Singapore got locked down, it's not like when the U.S. gets locked down. You know how like people still do whatever they want. Like that yeah. doesn't happen in Singapore. It's really small. When they say wear your fucking mask, you wear the fucking mask. Like what happens if you don't, don't wear the mask over there? You, you get, get fined. Oh, just fine. I know. Just- you get fined. Well, obviously, if you continued not to, you would get put in jail. And like they do, they they can still cane you, which is like they have like public canings and stuff like that over there. So. um, it's not like it, I don't think you would get caned over not wearing a mask, but gotcha. you know, but they do, they put people to death too for drugs. Like if you could have like a few ounces of marijuana on you and they could kill you. Like if you come through Singapore with it, right, they can. Well, yeah. I think, I think, uh, uh what was, I, I think cowboy talked about like, he brought like shrooms, like microdose shrooms or something to Singapore for his fight after the fact. He talk, talked about it. And um, and then I think it may have been on Rogan when he was talking about it. And Rogan was like, bro, you know, you could have got killed, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he got, he didn't understand it. No. It's just cowboy. Yeah. It's no joke over there. <laughs> that, that sounds like a very cowboyish thing to do. Oh, oh, yeah. So what's your, uh? so what? So obviously you got a great training situation. Who's your coaches now? I know you're training with Sam Calavita. And uh, I, I, everyone's always interested in him and what he does. He's, he's like almost like, I kind of compare him to the the John Danaher. John Danaher yep. is like the wizard of jujitsu. Yes. And then he absolutely. got Calavita. He's like the wizard of strength coaching. So what yep. what is it like to train with him? It's insane. It's Am I saying really- his name right? Is it Calavita? Yeah. yeah. As far as I understand, yeah. Calavita. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, no, he's just, you know, he's a really good human being for starters, which is, you know, that's a good check to have on the, on the list when I'm trying to surround myself with good people. Right. So he brings a great synergy, but essentially he is a college math professor. So he teaches mathematics full time. So he understands numbers in a way that I think most people couldn't fathom. The man is kind of like a computer. So, um, and him being an athlete himself, he was a wrestler, uh, back in the day and now he does um iron mans which is like you know what that is right that's no, a race. Yeah, yeah 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 they swim like i don't know a few miles then they get off and they bike for like 200 and something miles and then they run a marathon i'm like no, that's insane complete, be a complete beast to do it 
yeah, he started doing that at like age 44 and I think he's around age 60. He's done like 20 of them now. And he just qualified for a big one in October. So in Hawaii, which I think I would maybe want, I want to maybe try to go to that one. Um, just depending if my training camp permits, but, um, essentially back to what he's doing for me, turned my body to like math and science and took all the guesswork out of it. Right. We always train hard and we think we know, and we just, you know, sometimes we go, when we go hard, we go harder because we're like, Oh, we're a little bit tired or you don't want to go that day. So go harder, but he doesn't, there's no guesswork. All the recovery is monitored, you know, um, through apps and through, uh, through a uh, chest strap and, and all these things. So we know exactly where the body is, when to push hard, when to ease up. And that basically maximizes what you get out of your body, as opposed to just like the old dumb school way. It's like, just go harder, just go more, you know, and sometimes you're putting yourself in a deficit that's really hard to climb out of. And then you add the fact that when you're tired and broken down and you've just been running yourself into the ground, we don't go and sit at a cozy desk job. Mm. You know, uh, we're getting our asses kicked for it. So we get beat up for being tired and fatigued and those things. So, um, it was just really nice to have such a smooth sailing camp because I knew exactly where my body was at all times, when to push, when to schedule the sparring to kind of, uh, go with the ebb and flow of the very intense strength and conditioning. And, um, then the food part of it was huge too. I was eating all organic, only things that like grow from the ground or run or fly like grass fed, all that. So it's very, very strict diet as well. So you're, you're in Vegas though. He's, and he's in California. So how did that work as far as training goes? So he has an affiliate here that was able to run me through all my strength and conditioning programs. And then dieting wise, um, I did it myself. I I looked into some people maybe cooking for me, but, um, I wasn't ready to like give that, uh, that control up, I guess I'm a little bit too, like, I didn't want it in the middle of camp, just all of a sudden, not, you know, put it in someone else's hands. It's too important yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. So like, I wanted to oversee my food exactly, make sure I knew what I was eating and really familiarize myself with how to eat so that I was actually, um, not just my macronutrients, but my micronutrients. So not just proteins and fats and that ratio balance for my, my weight and muscle, but for vitamins. So like, I was like not taking any multivitamins because I could actually see the balance of the food that I was eating. So like I would take in my proper amount of calcium, take in the proper amount of zinc, magnesium, all that stuff. So that was really interesting too, that I could eat to complete uh, like a vitamin um, nutrition standpoint. I mean, that's like next level nutrition. Yeah. How many, how many days a week uh, did he have you doing the strength and conditioning? And then also how often, I know he's big into the blood work and, and, and all the blood markers. How often did you have to do that? I did the blood twice, once in the beginning and once through more, a little more towards the end, just to kind of see and make sure where I was at. But, um, I was pretty, pretty good nutritionally balanced going into it. Um, so I worked with Dr. Edwards as well, who had been running my blood panels over the past year, just to kind of try to help me make sure my iron levels and vitamin D and stuff. So I wasn't, I was actually pretty good. Um, and then, uh, we did the strength and conditioning two days out of the week. And then the rest, uh, is just up to me, like how I train and you know, what are the things that I do, but I pretty much stayed in the lane of like, that was the only strength and conditioning that I did was those two days a week. And then the rest was all geared towards MMA. And who, who's your head coach? Like who was the one putting it all together? Rick little, Rick little was my head coach. So gotcha. you know, I attribute a good, a good 80% of the evolution that you saw in the skill set, right? Like, especially on the feet to Rick in, uh, 
you know, Rick and my coach, Jimmy Gifford, my coach has been working with me for years, Jimmy Gifford. So I had a base already with him, but the progression that you saw in that immediate jump, that four months, like that was Rick. Um, he just, again, mind body connection. He had me do some funky ass drills that is like, I think other coaches probably would have laughed at, but these, he's so underrated as a coach. Rick is, where, so where is he at? Where, I, you were at extreme couture. Spokane. Where? Spokane. Spokane. Oh, wait, so you, were you in Spokane? Uh-uh. So wait, you got to explain this all to me. Break this down. So your coach is all over the place. Explain how this all worked. So I was the, basically the CEO of my camp. Like I decided how, when, where, who, what. Uh, I ran my camp. Um, but I had but you were in Vegas for it all? Yeah, was- other than like one short stint. I did go up to Spokane. It was just a couple of days. But okay. Rick did come down periodically throughout the training camp and was here, you know, a week there, a week there. He would come down. But um, no, a lot of times we were just FaceTiming him in, you know, gotcha. to, to barring rounds and stuff. So thank God for technology. So I know, we made right? it, Yeah, <laughs> we made it work. And then uh, I worked a lot with GIF, uh, fine-tuning my striking, keeping it uh, crisp. Um but no, I got to give a lot of credit to Rick because the mind body connection, that was a big difference. He basically what Rick did, he didn't show me a move or a technique. He showed me a concept that made mm, everything better for me. It just helped me be a better athlete. Right. So I had better eye hand coordination for it. I had better core engagement. I had better weight distribution over my feet. I had better correction in my, uh, never losing, uh, not getting out of position. Right. So I used gotcha. to be kind of, front heavy, right front foot heavy, and like kind of le- leading into, I think wrestlers, we tend to do that because mm. we, we don't mind to get a hold of people. So yeah, we kind of yeah. get over ourselves, in front of ourselves a little bit. And um, that was like a huge thing that we we really just kind of conceptually fixed. And Your uh, footwork was probably the most noticeable difference, I think, from in like yeah. the evolution of you. Like you were yeah, very light just, on your feet and yeah. you, your Keeping range, yeah, it was, was really good. Your Thank jabs, you. you're like 100% on your jabs. They were landing, they were beautiful. Thank and you. I think that's really all set up with footwork and distance control. It and, is. Uh, yeah. So how about yeah. sparring? Like where are you? Everyone's all over the place with sparring. So I'm always in, intrigued on like where you're at with sparring. Some people don't spar at all anymore. Some people spar three times a week. Where are you at? Once I would like to spar once a week, but this camp, I did a lot of technical sparring. So I really avoided mo- mostly avoided the heavy, heavy sparring rounds um, just for longevity sake you know not taking that unnecessary damage but there were a couple times maybe two or three times throughout my camp when I was like okay I need hard sparring this week like this is going to be hard sparring and I told my partners ahead of time I'm like you got to take it to me like you really you got to try to hit me because I'm going to try to hit you I just want to give you a heads up like now's your chance if you don't want to be but this is hard sparring day for me and that's what I need today I need somebody to really give me that reality check and so I know remember what it's like getting hit and so uh but those sparring rounds went really well they went about like the fight so um, well it sounds like because you you had you had control over it too it's like you were the boss today I actually feel like I really need to go hard and take a beating if I have to or give a beating just to fill that that fight as opposed to like all right, here's uh, the third sparring session of the week, and we got to go hard because that's the only option. Yeah, because this is what the coaches crushed. are saying. You no, know? exactly. And it was I was always kind of checking in with my coaches, anyways, to just say, "Hey, what do you guys think? This and that. Do you think I need another sparring? We're getting closer to the fight." And they were kind of like, "You know, well, it's up to you. Like, if do you feel like you need it? Do you feel like you don't?" And and I think that was so so nice to have that vote of confidence in me to be able to make those decisions because they know, like, I'm not 
uh, I'm not one to take an easy road out. Like if I, if I say I'm not feeling it today or I'm hurt in this way, they don't, they didn't question it because my character is proven, you know, I want to win this fight. It's me going in there. I want to be prepared. There's no way I want to cut any corners or take any shortcuts. Like that's not my personality. So, um, we, we really just listened to what I felt like I needed and we pushed really hard when it was good times to push hard and we eased back and a lot of technical sparring though, where it was, you know, 10 to 20% to the head, um, you know, touch, but not for damage, um, little, little more harder kicks and harder to the body, but Mm -hmm. just all about staying healthy and, and keeping the longevity, getting a lot out of tech sparring a lot. And I did, I got a ton out of it because we went full speed but low impact. Yeah. You're not trying to kill each other. You know, you hit someone with a good shot. It's like, Oh, oh my bad. I didn't mean to hit that hard, but exactly. You're not gonna exactly. Keep doing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go into, let's, let's rewind. Um, because I don't know much about it, but what was, let, let's, I know you wrestled in high school, um, which is obviously different for a girl and you're probably on the old boys team, yeah. but just your childhood, where, where are you from? What your, what your childhood was like and that kind of, how that kind of blossomed you into who you are today. So I, I, I grew up in Tacoma, Washington. Um, my mom was a single mom for the first few years of my life until she met my dad who raised me. It was about three years old um, when they got together and uh, been together ever since. And um, I grew up as kind of a tomboy. I grew up on five acres. So I played outside a lot. Uh, would, you know, cry when the sun would go down and I had to come inside. Like I loved so being awesome. outdoors, still very outdoorsy. That's awesome. Um, climbing trees, anything actually inside. Like I actually got the cops called to me for climbing on top of my, um, my elementary school. Like I was really? probably like grade and I like wanted to see what was on top. I had to climb everything. So yeah, I was running around on top of the building and the cops showed up like, sorry, like I wasn't trying to do anything bad. I just wanted to know what it was up there. and just yeah. thought it was cool to be able to like, find a way to climb up like the pipe or something. I don't know how I got up there, but, uh, so, um, I was just, yeah, very outdoorsy. Um, but very, always very like friendly. And my mom always taught me, you know, to make friends with the kid who was the outcast on the playground. So I have this weird eclectic group of friends that I've had since childhood that are just so vastly different in, e- in each of their unique ways. And so, um, yeah, I just, I always kind of kept that in mind. And what else about myself? Um, my mom and I, when we used to play Barbies, this is like the only, like people ask me, was there any telltales? Like you were going to be a fighter and like, and for the longest, I was like, no, I was like, I was the first person to walk away. I was always very just kind of like humble. I wasn't scared, but I was always just like, no, like I didn't ever want to fight. People you didn't want to like, get in trouble? I, Were you scared of getting in trouble? I, I had a, I definitely had a healthy respect for authority and I knew what was right and what was wrong. And I, what, I think I, I wasn't like, um, I had a healthy home life. I didn't feel like I had anything to prove, you know, like, I think sometimes those kids that want to get fight all the time is like they're distressed in some way. Like I wasn't, I felt very good about my home situation. And so I, I think for me, I just didn't understand it. Like the anger and stuff. Like I wasn't yeah. <laughs> so, so sometimes the people, you know, girls want to fight me. I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like <laughs> I just walk away. Like, yeah. and they're like, that's what I thought, you know, you're scared. I'm like, not really, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It. Um, so I never really had a tendency to like get into fights. I pretty much got along with everybody. I wrestled, took up wrestling in high school just because uh, there was no other sport for me to play other than women's basketball. And it just, that has been the one sport that I've been terrible at. And I had no interest in 
getting better at. So what do you mean? There was no other, there was no other options just because you weren't interested in other sports or was it? No, just women's basketball. It was just the season. Like, I don't know in your high school, what sports were offered in the winter? Yeah. Basketball and basketball and wrestling. Yeah. So yeah. So guys got to do basketball and wrestling and women only got to do basketball. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So so there were, there was no nothing else like to do yeah. besides wrestling. So out of default, my friend uh, asked me like it was her idea. It wasn't my idea. I was kind of like, what? That's oh, well, I didn't think we could go out for wrestling. But she asked me, like, you want to go out for wrestling? And I'm like, but the girls do they wrestle? She's like, well, no, but like they don't have a women's wrestling team, so maybe we can. You know? I was like, okay. So I went home, asked my mom. She's like, don't think you're gonna like it, but of course, like I'm not gonna tell you no. Um, she was never one to tell me no because I was a girl. Like I really appreciate that about my mom looking back because so many parents did. I tried mm. to get so many women to come out for the team because once we were on there, it was just her and I. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if there were more girls? Like, wouldn't it be awesome? So we tried to get them. They're like, oh, my parents won't let me. I heard that so many times. My parents, I was like, that is so frustrating. Yeah. Like it was so frustrating. So I was really grateful that my mom let me. But anyway, so I wrestled. Um, my first two years, Sharon wrestled with me. Then my so wait, is this nine? I'm sorry, nine tenth grade. You started ninth grade. Yeah, gotcha. ninth grade. So never wrestled a day in my life. So what was that was, like? Oh, I got walking into the wrestling room the first time. I mean, as a <laughs> freshman, you can imagine. Chris. Oh yeah, you yeah. wrestled right. How when did you oh, start yeah. wrestling? I wrestled, I actually first started wrestling second grade. And then, uh, I, but then I basically picked it up again in seventh grade. I did second, third grade. They didn't have it again in my elementary school uh, or my like junior high area. So then I started wrestling right. again in junior high. Okay. So, and, and uh, there was wrestling in my junior high too, but never crossed my mind. I thought it was kind of weird to be honest. Like yeah. I, that was my perception. The, as a the singlet, the singlet kind of definitely yeah. ruins it for some people. Yeah, well, I was a kid, you know, I was in middle school and I remember all going to a couple of rest matches and like, this is odd. Like, I don't really get it. Um, But when I went to high school, I just fell in love with it because it was so hard. So my first couple wrestling practices were complete ass kickings. Like I got my ass handed to me and so did she. And like we, but we were kind of like, whoa, like after it was like, that was so hard. Oh my (laughs) God, that was hard. Like we thought running cross country was hard. Like that was some shit. Yeah. You know, and um, they, of course, they, they kind of shunned us. They didn't want us to stick around. They were used to like, because girls had gone out before and just quit. So they were like, okay, let's just get them out of here. That was the attitude. Let's mm. hurry up and get them out of here. They, we all know they don't belong. They don't know they don't belong, but we'll just make it real clear, real fast. So they didn't like teach me anything. They just wrestled me really, you know, just wrestled my, <laughs> and they didn't show anything. So it was, it was tough. But after, you know, this halfway through the season, they started to kind of warm up to us. And like, some of them just tolerated us. And some of them were like, all right, cool. Like, yeah, no big deal. But by the time like I graduated my senior year, I ended up winning the coaches award, Which did you guys have that at yours? No. What what is that? It's like given out to one athlete on the whole team. And I won that. um, The coaches decide on it. Like who is kind of like an example, I guess, or like just a standout. Right. Maybe not the best wrestler, not, not necessarily your team captain or the person who won state. It's just somebody who kind of symbolizes good things that you would say, like that's somebody that could, you could, you know, look at and say, wow, you know, they did a good job. They weren't the best, but they did a good job. A good role model for kids to come. Yeah, I guess so. And so they, they, they awarded me that. And to this day, that's one of my proudest accomplishments because it was at a time when it was not cool to do. 
and women certainly didn't do it. It was pretty unheard of. And, um, this was the same team and coaches that really wanted me to quit. wanted me to get out of there just because I was a woman. And it, what it taught me is that hard work serves everybody. Well, whether you're a man or a woman, it serves everybody well. And, uh, that you can change perception through hard work and determination that you can change people's concept and mind about you and what you stand for. And I think the fact that I was kind of embraced by the team so much at that point, enough to win an award over any of the guys was pretty cool. It was really cool, actually. And so I kind of kept that mindset moving forward into MMA. When I faced kind of the same problems, when I started wanting to fight, right, you go into the fight gym, it's all guys, like, what are you doing here? I'm like, Oh, I've been down this road before. I was I'll just, you know, shut my mouth and just work hard. Yeah, again, you're like kind of a trailblazer for women's MMA. You know, what year did you start have your first professional fight? Um, early 2006. Jeez. So, I mean, that's before there's there's probably at at that point there's really no thoughts of being like famous or becoming a no. millionaire or anything like that. What no. made you I even... Didn't even know what the UFC was when I fought my first fight? I didn't even know about the UFC, to be honest. I cuz I wasn't really it wasn't in my wheelhouse, I guess. I mean, I wrestled, but um, I only wrestled in season. I didn't wrestle year round and like my family wasn't really, you know, wasn't like, didn't come from a family of wrestlers. My dad watched UFC a little bit, but I think we weren't close enough at that time or, or even the perception, right. That's like, my daughter would want to watch this with me. It was still kind of that old school mindset. Like yeah. nobody really thought that yeah. I didn't really, so I didn't really get a chance to like be introduced to it even, yeah. um, until I started training it in college, I kind of just stumbled across a club sport. I had a, uh, a dorm, a neighbor of mine, Rosalia, who was into karate. And she kept pestering me that I had to come check out this MMA club sport that was hosted by students on the campus. That's where I met Brian. So I was 19 years old. Yeah, That's where I started. And I really started from the beginning. From the very beginning. Oh, man. Yeah. So actually, he broke he broke broke it off with me um, because I wanted to train. Uh, so he was like, you got to choose. Either you can, like, be my girl, which wasn't even really at that time, wasn't really his girl, like, kind of claimed me. Like, we can continue hanging out or you can train, like, you or you choose that. But you got to choose. And was, I was it like, just because of, like the jealousy, like seeing other guys around you? I'm sure guys were flirting and all that. Like, was it that that was killing him? He was like, no, all right, you're out of the I, room. I don't think so, because it was a small team. We're in Yakima, Washington. I was going to Central Washington University. And so like they were all friends. Like it was close. It was a small team of like eight guys. So it wasn't like, you know, everyone knew everybody. Everybody was close. They all hung out. So I think he felt pretty like confident that, you know, these guys weren't the, going to be ones to he yeah, worry about their friends. Yeah, yeah. But it was no, and I don't think it was even like a jealousy thing. It was more his old school mindset because at that time I was getting no recognition. I don't think he thought I was ever really going to fight. He just literally thought fighting was not for women. He's like, hmm. why would a woman want to do that? He could not understand it for the life of him. Like, this is not what women do. <laughs> like, They don't do yeah. that. So yeah. what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to prove? Like, are you just trying to be a groupie? Like what? And so... So like I chose fighting, like I chose to stick with the sport and I wanted to compete. And I was like, okay, it was like, if you don't want to end it, like literally I was devastated because I just thought the world of him at that time. Oh, I was man. just so enamored with him. I thought, I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know? So he definitely, yeah, he kind of left me high and dry there. Uh, didn't really speak to me anymore. And uh, we still saw each other in practice or whatever, but I just kind of like played it off. Like it didn't bother me. 
you know? And I just was like, but I still want to do this more. And that's like the one thing I have never sacrificed. You know, I've given a lot in relationships, but not sports. Like sports is the one thing. It was like that, that I will choose that over, you know, if a guy's going to make me choose, like I'll always choose a sport. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Johnny boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, babe, but yeah. <laughs> don't put That's... me in that alternative because you might not like the answer. Yeah, exactly. It's, ing- <laughs> it's, it's just in you now. Um, yeah. bro, it really, it's amazing. Your story. It's so inspiring to hear everything you've been through. I mean, from the get-go of starting MMA, I mean, I, I mean, starting in wrestling on the old boys team and then all the way through starting your first day and carryaways there. And that's the beginning of you doing MMA and then everything you've been able to accomplish still during dealing with carryaway that whole time and everything that brought becoming a champion in strike force, a champion in UFC. I mean, right. it really is inspiring for people to hear this and it's super exciting to now look into your future with having that all behind you and having that ability to look from the outside in now and seeing what, how you're just so grateful now you, you, yeah. you know where you came from. You I'm know? so grateful. And what's really weird is that I know I'm a veteran of the sport by definition, but I feel so new. You know, I, it's, it's a weird, you know, kind of the polarity of the situation, if you will, is like, I've been doing this for so long, but it doesn't feel like it after taking nearly five years off and being so refreshed and having this new style and new evolution and new situation. It's like, I feel like I just feel new. I feel like new blood in the division. I don't feel like a veteran, but, but I guess um, I have the benefit of being a veteran in my back pocket that I have been through all these experiences before. Um, You know, I, I have that, that I can take with me the positives away from those experiences and all the fights that I've had and, uh, you know, fight IQ, things like that, that when you're newer in the sport, right. It can take a little time to develop. So um, big moments you've been in, you've been in some huge moments, you know, that sometimes it's too big for people. Yeah. People were asking me too, like, should I have been on the Connor card or do I wish that I was? And I'm like, look, no, because I've been there before and I know it's, it's a lot and it's crazy. And it's like, do we miss the audience? This, that I was like, no, it was perfect for my comeback fight. Cause I yeah. just wanted to fight and focus on that. And I was like, I know the rest will come. And, uh, now that I have that wind under my belt, like I'm feel more confident than ever. Like I'm ready to take on more. I'm kind of gunning for that Madison square garden card in November. Like that would be a great uh, a great comeback for me. So we'll mm. see. Uh, we have yet to really talk to UFC about it, but I've already been kind of just throwing it out there in interviews. Like I'd like that. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, it has been over an hour. Troy's got to leave here in a little bit. So last question a year from now, where do you see yourself? I see myself being a number one contender for sure. And possibly right around that time, lining myself up for that title fight title shot kind of depends how quickly these next couple fights go. But I think I should have at least two more before I'm, I'm fighting for a title. Um, so as I know, Holly's been calling me out and like, I'm more than willing to entertain that fight at some point, but I think right now I just got ranked number eight, which I'm stoked about. I did not know how this fight was going to translate with the past, what I've been doing fighting, uh, Mari Renault, who is, um, she's ranked, she was 12th. Right. So anyways, um, number eight. Now I think I should fight somebody in like the five to 10 range. Right. And then fight for a contender spot and then fight for championship. So I think a year from now I could have just wrapped up that second fight and be looking for, or it would be third fight in total, but uh, have won that contender fight and then, uh, and then fight for a title. So yeah, I think I'll be rematch with Nunes. Yeah, I think so. The the new, the new Tate. Exactly. Tate 2.0. Let's go. Let's go. 
All right. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it was awesome talking to you and, uh, I really best of luck. I hope you get this fight in November and kind of rewrite your new history. Um, yeah. your new story. Same for, you. Same for you, Chris. Like oh, I'm thank excited you. Thank for you. your, you know, for you to get back up on your feet. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yet. Thanks. <laughs> I don't have a leg to stand on here. Misha. <laughs> but yeah. no, I really am. I'm looking forward to, cause I think, uh, you still got plenty left in the gas tank. So always been a fan. It was uh, great to fight with you also on the uh, the card when you fought Anderson, right? I was on that. Yeah, the yeah, point yeah. Of- 160, I think it was 162 or what? 168. Uh, the December one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I honestly well, like, yeah, I've been a huge fan of yours since the beginning as well. And and now, especially your comeback, it's, it's so inspiring for me because I feel like there are a lot of similarities between me and you and our careers. Just seeing what you're able to do is inspiring for me. So I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it too. And thanks for having me on. That was so awesome. I really appreciate Misha Tate coming on the show. It blows me away that literally her entire career, she was in such a toxic, suffocating relationship um, and that she opened up about that because I think that's something that everybody needs to hear. A lot of times people are in relationships and they feel so alone and they feel like their relationship is so much different than anybody else's and people don't understand what they're going through. But to hear Misha open up about what she was going through and trying to fight in the UFC and and uh, what she accomplished while dealing with that toxic relationship is really mind-blowing. Uh, it's inspiring for people to hear. Giving birth in Singapore, her story on that is pretty amazing. How she was able to do it natural for all you women out there. Apparently, there's a natural drug that pops into your head that makes you high if you, if you give birth and you're just relaxed doing it. Really cool to hear what she was doing while she was gone for the five years. She moved out to Singapore. She lived there for a year and a half. She she had her second baby out there. Uh, Such an interesting story. Uh, And then we got back into what it was like for her growing up, you know, out in Washington and uh, what it was like for her to wrestle on an old boys team in high school and then how she got into mixed martial arts. Really cool story that Misha has. And I'm really excited for her future. After hearing everything that she's been through and how clear-headed and excited she is about her MMA career moving forward, I really am excited about what she's going to show us in the Octagon moving forward. Again, if you want to go check out that video of the conversation, it's all over on the Chris Wybin YouTube channel. Please remember to give Won't Back Down a follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you do that and you leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts, we might even just read your review of the show on our next episode. How about this review from Bubblegum Love, who says, Great podcast. Chris is pretty darn good at a, as a host and has already brought on some powerful guests right out of the gate. I have four podcasts that I listen to. This is definitely my new favorite. Yes. Keep it up. Thanks. Well, thank you, Bubblegum Love. I appreciate that. All right. That's enough from me. Have a great weekend. Remember to go give Misha Tate a follow on Instagram because she is awesome. And until next week, I am Chris Wyman, and this is Won't Back Down. Thanks for listening.